Is the utopian future depicted in shows like Star Trek really something we should all be hoping for? That's what we're going to talk about today on Conversations with a Calvinist, which begins right now. Welcome back to Conversation with the Calvinist. My name is Keith Bosky, and I am a Calvinist. And I am welcoming today again to the studio Uncle Rich, the Muffin Man. He is here with me today, and I'm excited. Thank you for being here with me, Uncle Rich. No problem, brother. I, uh, I'm stepping in on short notice. That is. That's right. This is a short notice uh, episode. We had a person scheduled for this week who had to reschedule. So Richard has graciously jumped in and we're going to be talking about a subject that we actually discussed doing several weeks ago. Actually, months ago, six months, almost a year ago. Now we talked about doing this and that is the question of talking about uh, we had mentioned we were we, we were doing a show about Orwell. George Orwell. Right. And we talked about how George Orwell had a picture of the world that was dystopian and that there were other fantasy uh, movies and TV shows and things that give a utopian future. And you mentioned Star Trek as your favorite. And I'm going to have you explain what that is in a minute for those who don't know what Star Trek is. <laughs> Pretty sure most people know what Star Trek is. I know that. Uh, we're going to talk about why, though, it matters for this. Right. And we're going to talk about whether or not utopia ever will come. And this sort of is based on something that I did. And now we're looking at 15 years ago because mm. 2008 is 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Is it 15, 15? Yeah. I'm real bad at math. So <laughs> I wrote a paper called why utopia will never come. And we're going to be talking a little bit about my paper as well, because I made some points about the nature of man and how the, the human utopia that people are often going after really is, uh, is, is a human expression of the heaven that God has promised for those who believe in Christ and how uh, human endeavors to try to find utopia here really are, um, really are not ever going to really happen. That was my argument in the paper. And again, it's 15 years ago. I'm not saying everything I said was correct, but, uh, but that's sort of what draws us into today's conversation. Now it's time for this week's giveaway. And what we're giving away this time is our two Reformation Study Bibles. On last week's program, we had you guys send in through YouTube the story of how you met your spouse. And we said this was going to be a Valentine's Day gift and so all of the people who sent in how they met their spouse is on these sheets of paper. There's several names per page. And I've been sitting here mixing these up. And Uncle Rich is going to choose a number one to four. Two. He's going to choose the number two. And now I'm going to ask him to reach into these sheets and grab whichever one he would like. Just reach in and grab one, please. Oh, there you go. Got it. And he is going to tell us which name now is Pulled at random, has one, uh, and again, this is donated by Ryan Dubia, one of our listeners, and he's going to ship it to you. Tell us the name of our winner. Second one down is Julie Six. Julie Six, okay. Who says she met her husband through a local Christian dating service called Match Made in Heaven. It's not there anymore. We met and married in seven months. We've been married 20 years in July. So Julie Six is your winner. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So Julie Six, I will be contacting you, letting you know that you're the winner of the two Reformation Study Bibles, and I hope that you enjoy them. And I want to say to you and to all of our listeners, happy Valentine's Day, and hope you enjoy it with your uh, significant other. 
All right, my friend. Well, now we're going to move on to our next part of the program. One of my favorite parts that we've been doing, and that is my new game. There we go. Now, National Treasure is a new game. I created this game. And what this is, is I am going to give you a pop culture icon. Okay. Someone, someone that I think has some type of significance in our pop culture zeitgeist. Gotcha. And you have to try to pick why you think I chose the person. Gotcha. So, again, and this all is based on, for those who don't know and didn't see the program with me and Adam, this is based on something that happened with my kids. One day I'm sitting in my living room. And I said something to my kids about Tom Selleck. Mm -hmm. And my children, God bless them. My children said, who is Tom Selleck? And I was, I know. I said, I said, Tom Selleck, Matt, mustache. You don't know who Tom Selleck? Yeah, I said, mustache. <laughs> you mean Magnum P.I.? Well, right. that, I said, you don't know who Tom Selleck? No, we don't know who Tom Selleck. And I said, that guy's a national treasure. So that's where I came up with the name of the game, and I created this game, and we've been playing it at my house ever since. So yeah. it's just a fun game. And it's, it, and it's sort of like apples to apples because I have a reason for picking who I pick, and so you have to, your job is not to tell me why you would pick them. Your job is to guess why I would pick them. Right. And uh, so this is not going to be as fun with guests who don't know me very well. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but Adam did well. He picked all three. And Adam didn't understand the game until the third question. That's what's amazing. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, anyway. So I, I'm going to pick a uh, 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 someone that I would say is a national treasure. Now, these people don't have to be genuine national treasures. It's got to be somebody that's in the pop culture uh, reality. And, and, and hopefully it'll be someone that you know. Okay. So I'm going to pick somebody that really this is going to be hard. I, I, I'm, I'm choosing this because it's you. I wouldn't do this to a normal guest, but you, my friend, if anything, have proven yourself to be abnormal. Okay, thank you. No, I, absolutely. <laughs> All right, my friend. The name? John Cryer. Okay, John Cryer. Is he from... Um, oh, no. I'm, the, the name pops up in my head. Is he the one with uh, that was in Charlie with the... The two, can you think of the name of the show? You're now? thinking two and a half men, and no, that is not the reason why I picked John. No, Cryer. I'm just saying John Cryer. That's John the actor, Cryer. right? Yes. John, he played Cryer opposite uh, Charlie Sheen. Made his mark in a much different decade for me. Not, not, uh, not that the show that you're talking about. That show that you're talking about has a, right. I wouldn't recommend a, that. Little show. sketchy. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend. Very that. sketchy, actually. Um, so. Unfortunately, brother, I'm not familiar with a whole lot of John Cryer's work, so it's got to be some, knowing you, it's got to be some 80s pop something movie he was in or that you think's funny or is a classic or you're pulling something up. I'm pulling up. I, I, I can't. I can't. 16 Candles? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> See, I ain't even seen that. So, oh come on, man, dude, come on, man. It's not sixteen candles. He played Ducky, 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 and Pretty in Pink, Pretty in Pink. See, I never seen that either. All right, it's uh, he, he. He's he's the best friend of the girl, the the love interest of the movie, mm -hmm. and he and he's desperately in love with her, but she. But he's in the friend zone. I think so. He's friend zone. He has to been the nth friend degree. zoned, and that that that. I mean, first of all, I feel him. I understand. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Ducky is here. It's like we know. I may need to watch it now because I'd be right there with him. That's been right. there, brother. Know what it's like. Yeah. So so again, <laughs> uh, that that just is honestly 
I I will tell you what I love John Cryer in though. That's not that. John Cryer played in Superman Four <laughs> as, <laughs> as the nephew of Lex Luthor named Lin, Lenny. <laughs> Lenny Luthor. <Lenny. laughs> and he he plays a punk rocker who just talks with that punk rock like like this rocks you know that like he's so. St- he was he was Keanu Reeves before Keanu Reeves was Keanu Reeves. Whoa. The best part of the movie is when Lex Luthor. First of all, not people may not realize Lex Luthor was an advocate of homeschooling because he says <laughs> in the movie he says, "Lenny, you pathetic product of the public school system." <laughs> <laughs> Gene Hackman was the best Lex Luthor ever, and if any if anybody ever plays this game, if I ever pull up Gene Hackman, it will be because of Lex Luthor, not Unforgiven, not. Not Hoosiers, but Lex Luthor. See that that what what you just said right there. That's where my mind was going. There was some he had some role that well, it was, was secondary. Ducky is an eighties role. I'm just and, about with the Superman four. Mm-hmm. You know that that's that's where your mind goes. So Absolutely. I was half right. Absolutely. So anyway, yeah, yeah. No, no, you 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 got it to the decade. You gotcha. were correct. You got it to the decade. All so, right. So that again is what we call. It was uh, just one question today. Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. The, the, the one, Adams was an initial. I wanted to teach people how to do the game. Gotcha. From now on, it's just me, one person, and tell me why that person is a national treasure. <laughs> so now we move on to the main topic of the show. And today we're going to be talking about the subject of utopia. And as I said at the beginning of the program, what brought this up is the question of will utopia ever come? And in 2008, I wrote a paper. Uh, it was for my uh, Lib 320 class. <laughs> the, I still have it here. My professor was Professor Rick Chaffee. So, Rick, if you're watching, I doubt it. <laughs> oh, he pronounced it Chaffee because I would call that Chaffee. But anyway. Oh, well, uh, and I, you're probably right. I, I, uh, why Utopia May Never Come. This was a paper I wrote. And uh, I wanted to read the first paragraph. Okay. And and, and it, this is how I, how I began the, the paper. <clears throat> If any two men desire the same thing, which nevertheless they cannot both enjoy, they become enemies. Now, that was a quote from our book, and I thought it was a good, a good way to describe what, what causes most human conflict. Two mm. people want the same thing, whether it be the same property, the same riches, same woman, right? Mm-hmm. The two people want the same thing. And those two people can't both enjoy that thing at the same time. They can't both have it. And therefore by nature, they become enemies. And, and I thought that that's reasonable. And one of the reasons why in a simplest term, I would say utopia will probably not ever come in, in the sense, because there will always be, there will always be a limited number of goods and things mm-hmm. that we can enjoy. And, uh, people like right now, there's a, War going on between Russia and Ukraine over mm-hmm. over you know land and power and who gets to seize the power and and, and so, but it goes on to say this. It's uh, another another quote: "War is natural. Peace is an accident. We can start a war in five minutes, but it takes hundreds of years to make peace." Mm-hmm. And uh, the last quote I have, I started with the several quotes, but I quote from Isaiah chapter fifty verse eight, which says, "The way of peace they have not known." There is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. And that's Isaiah chapter 50, 
verse 8, the way of peace they have not known. So really my argument in the paper was because the, the question of the class, you know, it, it was dealing with sociology and, 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 and wars and things like that. And I was saying basically these are things we're going to experience until the end of time. Mm. And uh, there are those who believe that human beings can create a utopia. And some have even described it in fictional terms. And that is where you're going to come in, Richard. I'm going to turn the screen over to you. You're going to get 100% of the screen here to describe to us what is this little thing called Star Trek and why is Gene Roddenberry a cult leader? Now, that part, that. <laughs> uh, well, I, I grew up on Star Trek. And uh, it's just basically, it's set in the 24th. Well, it depends on... If, if you're watching the old school one, that was with Captain Kirk and Spock and all those guys in, you know, the 60s, which my mom watched daily. I mean, I've seen every episode. And uh, basically it's this, this, they've reached this level where at least humanity has, where there's no more money, there's no more conflict, everybody doesn't, you don't really, I guess you would own stuff, but it didn't matter, so to speak. Um but everything was taken, everything was, everything was good. You've gotten past all these moral ills, I guess you would say. And you don't really see a whole lot of that in, in the old series, but in TNG, the next generation, they talk more about that because the next generation actually took a little, uh, it was like politically correct before politically correct. Yeah. Like in the, in the opening line where it says space, the final frontier, and it gives the whole thing. And it says boldly go where in the 60s they said no man has gone before. Well, the TNG changed it to no one has gone before because we have to be all inclusive. Anyway. Um, it's like the Bibles where they take out the, the pronouns. Yep, there you go. Make everything gender neutral. There you even go. Even God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, it's, a, it's utopian in the sense of everybody – you, there's no more monetary value. There's no money. There's no uh, property. You work for the sake of the enjoyment of work. I mean, that's that's just. I'm just saying. Cause, cause, <laughs> wait, 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 wait! I have to just say this. In the movie Back to the Future Three, there's, Doc Brown is trying to describe the future. Mm -hmm. And he says, we have automobiles that take us where we want to go. And this guy said, well, if you got these auto, what's this, what's this, what, what, does anybody run anymore? And he says, yes, but they run for recreation. They run for fun. He said, run for fun? What kind of fun is that? <laughs> so, so when you said people work for fun. Well, I, I didn't like, say well, they work for fun. They work for the gratification you get out of a job well done because you're not getting paid to do it. I got you. Like you go to Starfleet. To where you can get your position on a ship, so you can go and travel. But you're working. I mean, it's it's work. You you have a job to do, depending on what level you're in. So that's the idea. Is everything's everything's good. Everything's, and I mean, they got things like replicators. Like literally, I don't know how many times oh, in yeah. the show you you'll be in John Luke's uh, Picard's office or chambers, or whatever you want to call it. Quarters, that's what they call them, quarters. I hadn't watched it in a long time. But he walks up to the replicator, Earl Grey, hot, and whoop, and it pops right up and he drinks his he drinks his tea. You know, you want a, you want spaghetti and meatballs. There was one episode where this old country boy, I, I think they got him from the he came from the past or something, somehow he ended up there and he's like, You think you can make grandma steak and potatoes or some something like that? And it he he gave it the recipe and it made it for him. I mean it's just nice. so it, when you got everything nice. at your fingertips 
it's you know, and everything's provided for, and there's no money, and nobody's fighting over anything. That's the idea: is everything's equal, everything's every, everybody has the same opportunity to have the same stuff, and nobody's fighting over anything. Yeah, I do. I want to make mention of something because just in case anyone ever uh, uh, makes the connection, and 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 certainly if anybody did, it would be fine. There was a uh, there was a web show that came out a few years ago. Um, uh, called after hours that was the name of the, the show mm. and they would do they would talk it was four people who talk pop culture and one of the uh, one of their episodes they they said the joke i made earlier about gene gene ronberry is a cult leader mm. <laughs> and they brought up the the thing that you just said about the replicator the, right. what's interesting about that is they said you know if you have everything for you produced for you and you don't have to work for anything how can you be, you know, so long motivation, so long, you know, work ethic or any of that? And, and of course, you know, somebody could argue, well, what's heaven going to be like, you know, for, he you know, for Christians? Right. And I, I, for one, I believe that heaven, we are actually going to have occupation in heaven. That's a whole oh, other yeah. conversation. I, I don't think heaven is going to be us sitting on clouds strumming harps. In fact, I know that's not what it's going to be. Right. The scripture tells us there's a new heaven and a new earth, and it describes the, the new heaven and the new earth in physical qualities, not not just, you know, an ethereal out of body place where we sit on a cloud, you know, again, strumming a heart. So um, we, we would agree that there is a utopia coming. Mm -hmm. Utopia is God's garden. It's God's Eden. It's what, it's what's been redeemed better than Eden because God has, is, is going to, to redeem what was lost. Right. And the reason it will be a utopia is because of the one element uh, that you address in the pa in your paper, and I was, you know, my mind was already there before I read your paper that you sent to me, that you wrote 15 years ago, was there will be no sin to corrupt any of it. That's right. Because um, even if you go to the Star Trek world, and I'm basing the, I'm basing my comments off Star Trek based on a conversation I think either Picard or uh, Troy had with somebody who was in like another, another race, another uh, alien culture. They were in all kinds of conflict and all this kind of stuff. And, he, they asked the question, well, why do y'all not have these problems? And they said, we've, we've developed and matured beyond yeah. those kind of issues where we're at peace. And what these other alien cultures are, you know, at war with, even the Klingons are constantly at the, on the brink of civil war. So it's just the humanity that's reached this utopia. No one else ha really has. Yeah. Um, but even in the show, even in between the, the members of Star Trek, the members of the Starship Enterprise, there's conflict. There's aggravation. There, there was, <laughs> you got Worf the Klingon, you got Troy, who's like the, the Beta Zed, and you got Riker, who's number two. And Troy and Riker won't, I mean, Riker and uh, Worf won't Troy, and they're at odds with each other over a woman. Where's the utopia there? There's still there's still conflict. There's still like you said, what one man wants and another man can't have. There's going to be a fight over. Yeah. So and so they really haven't <clears throat> evolved past base desires. Right. Like you said, I mean, I've seen. I, I've never seen the show. <laughs> I've seen every episode and every movie, even the new ones. So. I've, now I did see. I saw the movie. Uh, please get quick on my camera. My bad, dude. <laughs> I got I big see my feet. camera anyway. doing this. People at home are gonna be like, <laughs> watching the show like <laughs> Night of the Roxbury. <laughs> no, but okay. So ah, you never seen the show, but you saw one of the movies. I well, I saw the newer movies, 
and, okay. I, and I think I saw the one about the whales. Yeah, that was uh, that was the old the old guys. That's where old, that, that's, that's where the dudes acting up on the bus. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Goes, they went back in time. <laughs> right, and he and he chows. <clears throat> he, he ninja ninja chops him. He don't ninja chop him. He does. He does the Vulcan uh, he, nerve he, punch. He, he, here's gonna be a here's gonna be a, 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 a deep cut, but only for certain members of my audience. He George Dillman him, and if you don't know what that means, <laughs> that that's a karate reference. He he yeah, touched exactly. him. Dude fell asleep. Yes, he All did right. the Vulcan nerve pinch. All right, That's, so, but I, no, I don't know any. I don't know the show. And right. Like I said, it's not because I didn't like the show. I was, I was a um, superhero nerd. Right. So people say, "Oh, what's his better, Star Wars, Star Wars, or Star Trek?" I was like, <laughs> "Batman. <laughs> 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 that, that is better." And Batman don't have no utopia. Batman's no. the world's always bad. Yes, and that's why he's here. Right. Yeah. So, I, well. But, the only reason I know it's because I grew up on it. I mean, yeah. my mom had bookshelves of the novels, and she'd read every one of them. She was like obsessed with it. Wow! Now, if I hadn't, if my mom wasn't a Star Trek fan, I'd never watch show either. But after you're after you're exposed to it, you're like you, you grow to like it. Well, like I said, I'm not. I'm not, dude. I like. <clears throat> I mean, the guys I watch are in tights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not challenging you and calling you out. I'm saying it's it's cool. I like it when people have their thing. Right, like growing, you know, like I'm an '80s guy. That's my mm -hmm. thing. You know, I like certain, I, I like certain aspects. I like Back to the Future, favorite. Yeah, I've mentioned that earlier. But getting back to the Utopia thing, getting back to sort of the heart of this issue is is man's nature is such that our our sinful nature seems to be pushing opposed to the idea of any type of utopia rather than toward it. Um, but there is a theological position. And I don't mean to come out of left field with this, and I don't want to start a civil war on my page. So right now, <laughs> let me, I'm going to switch to me real quick. I'm going to plead and beg that all of my post-millennial listeners do not freak out for the next few minutes of this conversation. Fair enough. <laughs> because as many people know, I am an amillennialist. Okay. But I'm what sometimes is referred to as an optimistic amillennialist in that I believe that um, there are areas where Christianity can and will flourish in the future. <clears throat> Postmillennialists tend to be much more optimistic and say it must flourish, and that's what the millennium is, is the, is the flourishing of Christianity and 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 and. and I, I like this idea, the idea that what if we are still in the early church? Hmm. What if there is still 10,000 years of church history? Because if that's the truth, we could still have, we could have three more reformations. Hmm. We could have, you know, three more, you know, Wittenberg moments. Uh, and, and, and wouldn't it be nice right now if somebody wrote up 95 theses against Bethel and went and nailed it to that church? <laughs> I mean, seriously, and it mattered. Like, right. If somebody did that today, it'd be like a message board on a post in a Twitter feed, mm -hmm. and it would get lost in the shuffle of all the information that's passed around. It would, it would do very little. Right. But in 1517, when 95 theses were nailed, it made a difference. Well, what if something else came along and made a difference? And there was a giant leap forward for the gospel. And there was another great awakening. And that's the idea behind um, 
post-millennialism is, is that, you know, there, there, we, 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 we see these advances and we trust that God's going to continue to give these advances. Mm. And so where I find myself, and I know I'm kind of, like I said, coming out of left field, hope I'm not, you know, uh, throwing off, kind of going away from the subject, but I think this is part of it. And, and the, the issue is, is, <clears throat> is, is, is post-millennialism saying that there's a utopia coming. I'm not really sure that's what they're saying. And what what do you have much experience with this with the, with the post millennial side? Do you got anybody in your church that holds this position? Or um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think my my pastor Cody falls more in the millennial camp like you do. Mm-hmm. So I think he's mentioned that from from uh, the pulpit. I think my brother Which Hank's post mill and, and or was at one time. Going back to Cody, I want to I want to give him props. If you are correct, and he has said that from the pulpit, God bless him. <laughs> because in a in a small Southern Baptist church, which like yours is bigger than our church, so in a mid sized Southern Baptist church, to even a, even say you're not pre trib pre mill, is a big deal. Oh, and and to give him more props, he was preaching from uh, Matthew twenty four, and he held a position that these things took place in eighty seventy. See that that's a partial preteristic <clears throat> view, right. Of it, which which that's where I'm at. Partial preterism, uh, amillennialism. And again, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get messages on this. There's people are gonna leave, people are typing the comments as, as we, we speak. speak. But that's what I'm saying is he. This is this is how he views the text. This is what he understands it to say, and so he preached it that way. And he said, "Now he did preface and say, now there's going to be y'all that's not going to agree with this, yeah. and we can all still cohabitate.' <laughs> <laughs> but I had to bring the word to you the way I believe it to be." So you say your brother Hank, who is a good friend of mine and good, and obviously well, a good friend of yours, he's your brother. <laughs> he's my brother, yeah. he's a, you've known him for a little while. Um, you know, I did his wedding, so I feel uh, feel like we have a kinship there. Uh, you say he has a uh, uh, potentially is post mill. Yeah, I, I, I remember there was a time where he he was in that in that uh, that camp or position. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I don't know if he's changed since then. I mean, what's interesting about the post mill position is I see a lot of it coming out of um, the Jeff Durbin uh, and mm-hmm. uh, Doug Wilson groups. Okay. Jeff Durbin has Apologia Church in Arizona, and uh, Doug Wilson has uh, uh, Christ Christ Church, Christ Reformed Church in uh, in. Um, Idaho, Moscow, mm. Idaho. Okay. And both of those guys teach a post-millennial perspective, and okay. I see it becoming more and more popular. Now, um, like I said, I'm not there. I've had people ask me, you know, why, why aren't you there? Even my wife, you know, one time I remember coming home. This is a funny story. Uh, I came home from uh, work one day, and she goes, uh, why aren't we post-mill? <laughs> and, and of all the questions you expect to get when you walk in the door, you know, how was your day? <laughs> nope. Uh, did you did you have a good day, honey? Nope. I didn't get that. Let's just what get in I the got. weeds right off the it bat. Was, uh, <laughs> it was, well, I listened to Jeff Durbin explain post-millennialism on, on Ali Best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you listened to Jeff Durbin. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. Exactly right. I was like, well, did you listen to Conversation with a Calvinist? Because it hurts. I just want <laughs> If the answer is no, <laughs> no, so, I mean, I love, I, I, I will say this. I think Jeff Durbin is an important voice in our time. I think he's oh, a wonderful yeah. pastor. He does a lot of good things. So, uh, and, but he was on Ali Best Stucky. Okay. Which is a show. My, my wife likes her. She listens to her, reads some of her books. And he was describing the, the difference between post mill and pre mill in the sense of how we see the future. 
Okay. Because his his argument, if I remember correctly, and again, I listen to the podcast too, because when your wife nails you, when you, as soon as you walk through the door, why aren't you post-mill? I'm like, what you been listening to? Why are you, <laughs> why is this why is this dinner conversation? Uh, but you want to know what, you know, okay, what what is it she listened to? You want to get, get kind of get involved with it. And his argument essentially was um that one of the things that led him away from pre-mill was the 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 abs- absolute pessimism of of it. Hmm. Is that it, that it's the idea was you know we're 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 you know the the world's going to hell in a handbasket just let the world go to hell in a handbasket don't hmm. don't try to engage just batten down the hatches and get ready for the rapture you know and, or hmm. if you're a if you're not a pre-trib guy batten down the hatches and get ready for the tribulation either way you know you're basically rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic anyway hmm. so why does it matter right and. And, and I do think what I just said, again, I've got dispensationalists who listen to this and I've got premillennialists who listen to this. Guys, under, understand, I'm not, I'm not saying that's exactly what Jeff said and I'm not saying that's what I believe. I am saying that is a that is a attitude that can be drawn. If, if people think the battle's already lost, that everything's going to go to hell anyway, why, bat, why fight the battle? That's, right. that's, that's the attitude. And again, for, for Jeff, he was saying he felt that Postmillennialism provided more of an optimistic view because, again, the idea is that Christ will return to a world that has been converted, not completely, but has been converted to Christ on, on a large scale. Okay. And so you can see how going back to the to the time of when the Advent Adventist movements were were really raising up uh, during the 1800s, you can see how that would be how people would believe that because you've got the great awakening happening and you've got the, you, you know, all of these, all of these new things are taking place and, and people are saying, this is the end. This is, this is, Jesus is going to come. This wonderful new thing has happened and, and people are being converted, you know, on, in, in, in mass. Right. So <clears throat> then we go through two world wars, hmm. um, you know, two atomic bomb blasts Mm -hmm. and many people begin to see the world differently after those events because the attitude becomes well maybe maybe it wasn't maybe the great awakening wasn't the end maybe that wasn't the right the 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 great event and so and then the jews returned to jerusalem or to israel Mm. in the 40s that sparks a huge eschatological uh uh idea, especially right. among those who, who are dispensational and see right. a future for ethnic Israel. And you don't have to be dispensational to see a future for ethnic Israel, but that, but that, um, you know, those who are counting on a future for ethnic Israel as part of their eschatology, <clears throat> they see the re- Jews return to Israel as a big deal. Right. So again, all of this comes back to uh, eschatology, right? Mm-hmm. This whole idea of utopia. Now you said, we were talking outside of the program that you're you're not nailed down where you are right i I haven't spent a lot of time with with eschatology i've you know i've i've been exposed to dispensationalism enough that i don't agree with that because and i'm sorry for those who's going to write comments after i say this but the exegetical gymnastics you have to play with dispensationalism to make it work just doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. and hebrews just doesn't work for me (laughs) you know 
Christ reinstituting sacrifice and stuff like that kind of that bothers me. Well, that's um, <clears throat> that's a premillennial view. Okay, uh, and, and I'm not not necessarily correcting you. You're right because dispensationalism is premillennial. Okay, and okay. So um, dispensationalism though is a holistic view of the whole Bible. Right, it all happens in which, certain dispensations. Yeah, we're which distinguishes in, right. between Israel and the church. Right, making, it, making that. Uh, and that's the other reason I don't agree with them because we're spiritual Israel, so there's no dis, there's no. Um, Again, it's Uncle separation. Rich at gmail.com. <laughs> Everybody, because what you just said, even that phrase, when you say we are spiritual Israel, you you say it with such gravitas. Well, confidence. I'm just saying, I'm not I, I believe that's what Scripture you, says. But so. that that whole anyway, that whole thing, you you would be surprised how many churches you would get. Um, I mean, run out of town. I got it. You would, you, you, if, if nothing else, they would want clarification. What do you mean we're spiritual Israel? You know, but anyway, and, 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 and so, yeah, but beyond dispensationalism, I haven't really jumped into any of it and nailed down something because honestly, and this just, this is just my personal opinion on it mm-hmm. is that's all any of this is Christ is coming back and we need to be ready and preach the gospel till you die. I mean, that's because that, when you get into those, I know eschatology has an importance and it, it is necessary. I'm not discrediting it. You don't need to study it. I understand its importance. But it's when once you nail down a position and you stand on that podium, now let's fight. Because yeah. <laughs> you, you are. I mean, you had to preface this section with saying, please don't blow up my comment section with a holy war. That's right. So, I mean, it's just, I'm, it's, it's one thing when you're fighting about the gospel itself. It's yeah. another thing when you're fighting about, well, which one's right on when is, is Christ going to come back in the thousand year reign or is he not? Or is it just going to, oh, uh, I don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So, yeah. And I, I hold a particular eschatological viewpoint, but I don't, I hold it with a loose hand. And I'm, I tell people that, right. you know, people who come to the church, I say, if you're coming here looking for eschatological certainty, then you you really just you won't be happy here, right? You know, uh, we we all of our elders are basically in the same place on our eschatology. That's one nicety is we don't have a bunch of division among the elders. Mm-hmm. We all we all basically hold to a um, partial preteristic understanding of Revelation and right. an amillennial view. Which again, could, we say optimistic amillennialism, which could tiptoe into postmillennialism a little bit. Um, so somebody who's postmill could probably come here and be very comfortable. Um, pre-mill, if somebody's dedicated to pre-mill, they may not be happy here because we never talk about it very right. much. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it should ever keep anybody from membership. Right. Because we, we, our, our one f- finite rule, or not finite, our one final rule on eschatology when it comes to membership is you have to agree that Christ is going to return. Right. Right? And this takes us back to, and I do want to get back to the original topic at hand, and that's the topic of utopia. Because right. Because Christ's return. Whether we're post-mill, on-mill, pre-mill, whatever, Christ's return is what ushers in the kingdom and the final state. Uh, and again, I guess it does matter because premillennialism would say it ushers in a thousand-year reign, and then it's the final state. But, right. But <clears throat> if we hold to uh, an on-mill or post-mill perspective, Christ's return usher, ushers in the eternal state. And okay. the eternal state is the only utopia that we have to really hope for in the sense of absolute and no more, as Revelation 21 says, no more tears, mm-hmm. no more hatred, no more fighting. All of that is done away with. Right. And that is the 
that that's the thing that when we look at again going back to Star Trek, going back to and and what's some other shows? Maybe it's a good question. What's some other shows that have tried to propose a um, and in the comments, all right, we'll ask the commenters. Because I don't really. Yeah, yeah. What What are some other shows that have put out the idea of a utopian future? Because most, a lot of stuff's dystopian. Like right. Your Book of Eli. Your, uh, uh, oh goodness, what, even Walking Dead's that. Walking, way. yeah. All of these shows about zombies and stuff. Uh, Zombie Land or not Zombie Land? Uh, World War Z. Mm-hmm. All these movies are about a dystopian future. Right. Which everything falls apart. Yeah. W- water World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we can go back to 1984, the movie. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all a dystopian future. Right. So, so the question becomes, does, you know, how many movies portray uh, a positive? And again, I, I think Star Star Trek is it. I can't think of one, but maybe somebody well, else will put out an idea. You know? Yeah, I don't, nothing comes to mind unless it's some kind of spoofer maybe, but. Um, but even Star Trek, like we said before, has its problems. Yeah, it's in- not fully, because... It's like it's like only humanity's made it because every other race they run into for the majority are jacked up. Yeah, <laughs> they have their problems. But even humanity, like you said, every you know they've got the um, again. I haven't seen the show, but I know a few things. Right, they've got the the prime directive, which is that they're not supposed to interfere with other. Yeah, okay, other. Tell, all right, yeah. Well, prime directive, you don't interfere with other races who haven't. Um, technologically advanced like they're behind you but how many times do they break the prime directive they have like all the time they have yeah um, okay there's a there's an episode in the next generation where they had where they did it by accident um they were accident well they were uh they were supposedly uh monitoring them and then somehow or another uh well one of the movies is that way Right. Well, the first. Well, yeah. One of the movies is like he, Chris he, Pine. They they did it on purpose. Yeah. And uh, because Spock was about to die in the volcano, and so they raised the the, the ship up out of the ocean and, all, and was shot over there and picked him up, and everybody saw him, and they started drawing pictures in the sand of the ship they saw. There's a violet because they didn't let Spock die. Mm-hmm. Prime Directive says Spock should have died. Yeah. To preserve this this alien uh, uh, group of people from witnessing this starship that was well beyond their technology. They were tribal. So anyway. Well, the reason why I bring up that the, there's so few utopian movies, utopian right. TV shows. Again, there's plenty of dystopian. We can go down the list. That's what we know. <laughs> but, but, the, but, but do you think it is because we know inherently that left to ourselves, we're not going in that direction? Well, that's that I was thinking about that before is we we're striving for that which we can't get on our own mm-hmm. which also in my mind points to the existence of god yeah because we want that perfection we want where everybody is on equal playing field we want where everybody has equal everything and there's no more fighting and envy and hatred and lust and all those things are out the window and that, I mean, we look in our, in the American culture today, what is all this social equality stuff? Everybody's got to be on the equal playing field. That's right. And they think the, and they, they look to the government as the God that's going to give them all this, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to make everything equal. You just give the government all the money and they'll equally distribute it among the people and everybody will have the same and there'll be no more fighting. And well, there's a problem with that because you're not going to get to that utopia because as the premise from your your uh, paper said, "What well, one man has, another Should man have been wants." An award-winning essay, it might be so, but <laughs> from one one person wants it, another person doesn't have it. 
well, okay, well, you start distributing wealth. Well, the people that have the wealth don't want to give it up. And the people that don't have the wealth want it. So where's the utopia in that where you strip a man from everything he has to give to a man who has has not hasn't earned it? Yeah. You know, you, you don't get to, you don't get to utopia that way. Yeah, because we, you're gonna make somebody angry. We could have a we we could have another hour long conversation about this is the this is the real desire. If you if you listen to those who are pushing for communism, socialism, things like this, is it is is you'll you'll only be happy when you don't own anything. Right. You'll only be happy when you when you when you're not when you're not trying to achieve. I remember uh, I remember um, uh, family member. I won't mention name or anything, but there was a family member growing up who who said she was a communist. Like mm. she said she was a communist while wearing her, you know, two hundred dollars tennis shoes and, and carrying her backpack, which had her all of her communist logos on it with her very expensive laptop inside that was made a thousand dollar iPhone in her pocket. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it's such a it, just, you know, because She's, when we all become communists, we'll all share everything. Yeah. The problem is we'll all share poverty. We'll all share. It. We'll all share the bread lines. We'll all share the gas lines. And, uh, that, that, again, this is where, this is where my paper was driving towards is that, um, and we talked about, we talked about 1984 or did we talk about animal farm, which we talked about 1984, you ended with animal farm. Animal farm is to me, one of the, if, if people haven't read it, right. It again, goes back to this, the, the idea that what we're, what, what happens when you put power in the hands of a few with the trust that they're going to treat you right and they're going to do the right thing and there's no checks and balances, they get to decide what's best for you. You end up, all of the animals around the house, looking in while the pigs have dinner with the, with the humans laughing at all the other animals. Mm -hmm. And that's what we end up seeing. And, and going back to this, the striving for utopia, okay, and tying Star Trek back in with it. Roddenberry's vision was of a world where there was no more want, need, or anything like that. And everybody was equal and everybody was provided for. And you worked for the sake of work, you know, for the satisfaction of work. Okay, well, let's go back. Let's go to work for a moment. And I'm glad my, my pastor brought this up Sunday. Work was given before the fall. That's right. Work will be in heaven. Yeah. We'll have stuff to do. Yeah. Which means, but it won't be marred by sin. Yeah. See, Roddenberry wanted this idea of utopia. He wanted to get there without God. The problem is we're not going to get to that state without God's intervention. That's right. And fortunately, God has intervened in the person of Jesus Christ. And since he's intervened in the person of Christ and through faith and repentance, you can then be adopted into the family of God. You have a hope of the utopia we're talking about, where work isn't. With thorns and thistles, but it had it's, it's just valued for what it is because it's done with that, without the burden of sin upon our shoulders, and we get to worship in a way we can't worship now. Our worship won't be incomplete, and we'll have everything we'll ever need. I mean, you think about the marriage supper of the Lamb. You think you've had a good feast here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait till then, and it's going to be in abundance, yeah. and nobody will want for anything. All sin, all pain, all hurt, all tears, all things will be wiped away because of what God has done in Christ. See, everybody wants utopia, but you're not going to get there this side of heaven. It's not going to happen. Yeah. The only way it happens is that you become adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ so that when he does return and all is set new, you know, the passion of the Christ, the passion of the Christ, one of the powerful lines for me in the whole movie 
is when he's on the way to the cross and he stumbles and the girl comes up to him and gives him or his mama comes running up to him and he kind of shuns her away and says, I go to make all things new. Yeah. That's a powerful line for me. I know it's a movie, but I go to make all things new. You want to talk about utopia? That movie describes what utopia will be. Yeah. What Christ has done there. So sorry I went on a rant with that, but I mean that's no, no, that's no, the no, that's, the, I, I'm that's the whole point we're on going to is can utopia be found here? No. Yeah. Because of a three letter word sin. Yeah. It's not gonna happen. And even if even if we hold to a post millennial perspective or an optimistic millennial perspective, whatever, those things we're still not saying that there's ever going to be perfection. Right. Because there's going to be sin, even among believers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no perfect church. Why? Because believers still sin. There's there, there's still that, that that problem of sin. And if Christianity flourishes in the arts or in uh, the media or in other areas, which is where the whole idea of, you know, growth in these areas and seeing so, sort of the Christianization of culture, even if that happens, there's still going to be sin. There's still going to be th- th- this idea of that we'll find a utopia one day outside of Christ is just not true. And Absolutely. I think that, and that's the, and that's the point. And if you really want to know, as you just said, if you really want to know what utopia is, go to revelation chapter 21, mm-hmm. you know, read where the new heavens and the new earth come. Right. And that's, and that's the promise that we have. And that's not to say that we can't see blessing and benefit here. That's not to say that we can't see growth here or, as we said, the, you know, Christianization of certain things and, and all of that. Um, but ultimately in the end and in the final analysis, there is, there is, uh, there is no utopia outside of the mind of the cult leader, Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> now I will say this, you can get small pictures and glimpses of it in the church. Sure. But it's just, it's fleeting, <laughs> but because, I mean, that's what my pastor likes to say is, you know, we have a worship service on Sunday morning. He's <clears> like, this is a picture of what heaven is going to be like, worshiping God together. Yeah. So if you got a problem with a guy next to you, you're going to have a problem when you get to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, there'll be the removal of sin. You won't have a problem with him anymore, you know, provided you're both there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and yeah, you, yeah. you or him ain't a tear among the wheat. <laughs> but. Yeah, this it, utopia can't, it won't happen. Yes. And that, and, and that's what's maddening is we're trying to be, the government's trying to force us into that. Yeah. You know, and that's all what these I was saying earlier about the, the whole uh, animal farm. Right. I recommend a book on this subject. Uh, and it's not a Christian book. It was written by Thomas Sowell. You familiar with Thomas Sowell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thomas Sowell is a, is an author and economist, uh, writer. And he wrote a book called Cosmic Justice. Mm. Where and this was uh, written before the modern like sort of social justice warrior thing, I, you know. It's, a, it's book's, right. the book's several years old, but but he, I guess not before it, but it, you know, it, he he didn't write it in response to these things. He saw these things coming, right? And uh, he, it, in Cosmic Justice, he addresses the issue of that what is often sought by the social justice warrior is some form of justice that really only comes from God. It really only is on a cosmic level. It's really God who is able to right the wrongs that are often trying to be righted, you know, or whatever they expressions are. And again, this whole. So I, again, I would recommend that book as saying here, here, here's a thought if you're interested in looking at this from a sociological level or. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I haven't read it yet. But I need to. 
But I know I've heard Vody Balkum talk about how we define justice in a different way that God defines justice. Yes. And I, I would think that his book Fault Lines would cover or address that. He does. He does. And uh, I but, read, I haven't, but I haven't I read, read Fault Lines, Lines, but I don't want to try to, uh, I don't remember everything, you know, again, right. it's been, been several months since I've read it and uh, I don't remember exactly how he defines it, but that would be another one. So if you want to, so some book recommendations for today would be, um, would be Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham, uh Cosmic Justice, Cosmic by, Thomas Justice by Thomas Sowell, um, Biblically Functioning Church by Keith Foskey. You know, always recommend <laughs> Because if you're going to recommend Shameless stuff, might plug. as well just recommend your own stuff. That has nothing to do with Utopia, but um, you know what? It's my book, and it's available for free. So yes, you are an accomplished author. You're a published author. You're a podcaster. You're well, I wouldn't a pastor. say published. The, the, my books are self-published. I, I want to be honest about that. I didn't. Okay. Uh, well, you're. I haven't. Uh, but if there are publishers out there who are interested in looking at my <laughs> manuscripts, uh, you can email me at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. I actually want. I'm working on a, a new book right now. Nice on the, on the subject. Where do you find time to Christians all this stuff? and personal protection? Is my uh, next thing that I want to dive into, as I've uh, done a lot in that area. I'm mean, 30 years. This next year is my 30th year in martial arts. Wow! Uh, I started in 1994. I'm just trying so, to figure out where do you when do you sleep? Uh, you podcast. You pastor. Yeah. You do karate. You write. Yeah. You. I'm gra- I have. I have a very. I have. A, I have a, a. I'm thankful for a supportive wife and a very, very supportive church that allows me to do a lot of these things. And I'm yeah, because you do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, so uh, but yeah, again, I want to want to begin to draw to a close. Here's here's my thought for you. Uh, we're not doing a giveaway on today's program, but I will say this: if you are interested in leaving a comment, here's what you can comment: Is there a movie that talks about a utopian? future that we couldn't think of right that would that would be there and if you do find one you put one down there uh i i will uh i'll give you a shout out i'll give you a shout out on the next program if you leave if you leave a uh leave leave the name i, I i'll shout out all the all the all the movies that were mentioned if you can come up with a a, a utopian book or, or, or utopian movie yeah i'll give you a shout out on on the next program I was trying to think. I got like double copies of several books, but the names of them don't come to mind. So. Yeah, I can't think of any either. So, Same. all right, guys. So again, I want to thank you for uh, thank you, Uncle Rich, for being on the program today. And again, a short notice program, but I still think a worthwhile program. We were able to make everybody mad. All the eschatological <laughs> positions, we were able to just take them all out. You're, you're yeah. going to get emails. Kick him off the show. Kick <laughs> him off the show. Anyway. But thank you again for being a part. No problem. And again, thank you for listening to Conversation with the Calvinist. If you would, please, if you're watching this on YouTube, go down and hit the subscribe button. Uh, Hit the like button if you did enjoy today's program. It helps me get out and reach a larger audience and share this with someone. If you're coming uh, to me from one of the other social media platforms, remember that we do have a Facebook group that we would like for you to join. It is the Conversation with the Calvinist Facebook group. I'd love to have you follow me on Twitter, at Your Calvinist on Twitter. So again, I want to thank you for listening to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you.